Sweet King Martin Sweet Queen Coretta Sweet Brother Malcolm Sweet Queen Betty Sweet Mother Mary Sweet Father Joseph Sweet Jesus We made it in America Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rumbling with Rights. Um, this is Bria speaking. Uh, first of all, uh, before we get started, uh, first of all, hi, George. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I know you've had a, a much crazier evening than I, so I don't, uh, I don't fault you for forgetting to introduce me there. My bad, you know, just the torrential rains and running out of gas and, you know, just a lot of, just a, just an evening. Nice. Um, but of course, I'd be remiss not to say hello. Um, so we're, we want to make sure that we're jumping in for you guys pretty quickly today. Um, but before we actually jump into the topic, which, George, I know we've talked about a little bit. We're really excited about this one yes, in particular. Yes, um, definitely wanted, though, to just send a lot of love to all of the people who, for one, listen. Y'all, I didn't expect as many people to show love and show support the way y'all did. I appreciate it. Um, and aside from y'all listening, like, yo, we've really loved uh, hearing your feedback. Um, shout out to people like Simone Royal, who has given me a ton of feedback on this. A lot of people that we work with, Emily Serino, um, really, really appreciating that as we are going forward. Um, George, you got anything else on that? Yeah, I mean, I never thought I'd be so interested in how many listeners we had because I think I always assumed it would be such a, a small group that but to be plus 80 I know that like comparatively to other podcasts it seems small but for two teachers we just really appreciate anyone who tuned in um, both with an effort to uh, learn and be critical I think that you know we would be wrong to say that you shouldn't listen to a podcast also with a, a critical lens for anything that could not only in the podcast get better but just challenge the mindset of someone because I think that that's an important part of everyone's growth. Um, for me, you know, I have a bunch of really uh, woke TFA, TFA friends from Teach for America and my time there. I was always kind of the simpleton in that group, so I was never really like I was never really like them. I was more of the the guy who was you know a little bit different, um, and that was good. It worked well for the dynamic of our group, but. You know, to, to my less family, that's what we call each other. Um, you know, they're they're awesome. And they gave a lot of really critical feedback that I think was great uh, specifically. And I know that, you know, some people talked about how, you know, they wanted us to be more conversational. I think that's totally valid. Um, you know, we want that, too. And I, I would just continue to tell people we're going to continue to work on that. And eventually, once the coronavirus dies down, we'll get really good at that once we're in the same place to record. Um, and the other one that I thought was really interesting, and I don't, I'd love to hear your perspective on this as well, Briz, is um, they, they thought it would be almost a better idea for you to introduce the majority of the time as a way to welcome me to the conversation. And I really like that. Um, you know, last week we were super planned to the T because it was our first, it's like your first day of class, right? Like when you're a teacher. Mm -hmm that first class, that first practice, whatever you I want to like, right. the second. Right, exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate that because it was a perspective I hadn't thought of. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I think that it's definitely valid. 
Yeah, no, I think that um, it's an incredibly valid point. Um, you also know who I am as a person. Like, I'm going to want to jump straight in and, like, let's talk right. about it. Um, so I think that even just, like, that balance of, like, who we are as people and where that falls into this. Um, I think that for me, my biggest piece was just making sure um, – Oh, my brain stopped for a second. Sorry. Uh, but just making sure that the conversation is flowing. And again, you've hit that. Um, that's just what I want to focus on. You know, I get, I'm not going to lie to you, I got a little nervous the first podcast. I got a little <laughs> nervous. It's a little right. nervous out here. Right. No, I mean, I, that's real. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely nerve wracking. Not only, you know, the reassuring part is like, you just put it out there and you just see how it goes. And so I thought that was brave for both of us. And um, again, the people who, tuned in and listened, you know, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys for chiming in because it only helped us get better. Um, thank I know you, thank you, you. you already said it. Um, this is kind of the episode where we get right down to business and I'm excited for that. All right. So let's get down to business. We're going to talk about someone, Mr. Marshall. Yes. Let's talk about Miss Cooper in New York City. Amy Coop Dog. Yes. Amy, I don't even want to give her a Coop Dog. <laughs> Miss Amy Cooper is who she will be for me. Well, I might have um, her, so you probably shouldn't give her that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, um, just starting off, like, I want to hear your thoughts. What do you think? I mean, I, I read a little bit about this when it first happened and got some more context. Um, for those people that don't know, this is the situation where Amy Cooper was the white woman um, walking her dog in Central Park and um, essentially was confronted by a black man named Christian Cooper because her dog was off the leash or off of his or her leash. I don't know what the dog was, but uh, the biggest thing was that they had a, a little not I don't want to say a con confrontation, but it was like a conversation. Um, and essentially, Christian Cooper started filming the incident. Amy Cooper got very upset by this and then ends up saying to Christian Cooper after a back and forth, um, you know, essentially, I'm going to call the police and take a picture of you and I'm going to tell them that you're an African-American man who's threatening me. Um, this is a perfect example of any number of types of privilege and bias that we'll get into throughout the course of the episode. But I mean, my general impressions were kind of most mostly frustrated because when I read at her interview with CNN, she's quoted as saying, my entire life is destroyed by this. Well, honey, you did it. So like, to me, it's kind of a situation where I'm like, like, it, for one thing, your life's not destroyed. Like, let's just get that on the forefront now, right? Like, you're white, you have privilege, you'll be able to bounce back from this. If a black person were to make a mistake where they were arrested, that may not be the case. And that's another example of the privilege that you have in the situation. But you had the audacity to think that you calling the police and saying that a black man was attacking you is just absolutely mind boggling. Well, in the, I'd say initially it was, but like it really isn't given everything that we've seen and given everything that has been you know, posted on social media and whatnot. But I mean, man, that is, it's just such a, it's such a stupid incident and it's such a stupid quote because you put yourself in that situation. I do want to say that in terms of how he handled the situation, like, I mean, he like, he low key handled it like a boss. Like, I don't know if you've read any of the quotes of this stuff, but essentially it was just like, I mean, he even straight up says, and this is a quote from the same CNN article. 
If it's genuine and if she plans on keeping her dog on a leash, then I'll accept her apology. <laughs> like she is so much nicer than I am. Because, girl, <laughs> I don't want your apology. <laughs> right. I don't even want it. But I think to like the comment that you said where she was like, oh, this has destroyed my life. And I feel like so many times, like I hear white people who are in this, so you think of like permit patties and like all that type of stuff, mm-hmm. who are in these instances. And when it's brought to the public eye, they're like, my life is ruined. But like, sweetheart, you were really ready to ruin his life. Right. Like, right. you know that by involving the police and you, and in that moment, what she did was what so many white people are able to do in this country. And she, she, Sorry, she weaponized what blackness was and she knew that blackness was a weapon. So there was there was a she knew that by saying, oh, I'm going to say that an African-American man is calling me. And then when I don't know if you've seen the call that she made to police, but like you're sitting here acting like he's attacking you. You're sounding all flustered, choking the poor dog out. And like but she knew for a fact she could say a black man. Right. And so I don't want to hear her. Oh, my life is destroyed or any of these type of things. Like, I hope that this is I genuinely like pray for the growth of other people. So I hope that this is something that she can grow from. I hope that this is something that she has learned a lesson from. But like you were really willing to destroy that black man's life because you didn't want to follow the rules of leashing your dog. Girl, that's it's the rules. Yeah. Like that is what you are supposed to do. He's not telling you anything strange. Mm-hmm. He's not telling you anything crazy. But I think that the part that we have to acknowledge with this is like, we could call it a silly mistake or we could look at it for what it is. And she knew what she was doing and the same attitudes that allow women like Amy Cooper to be able to pick up a phone and say, Oh, a black man did it. Or that mother who threw her son in a river and blamed it on two black men or the man who said he was kidnapped and said that black men had done it. That attitude is the same attitude that leads to cases like Tamir Rice when a 12 year old or the cop can say, Oh, he looks like an aggressive older man. I thought he was attacking me. He's 12 years old playing in a park. Right. But it's that same attitude that people have to begin to accept is there and realize. And you can't just fall back on like, oh, I just made a silly mistake. No, you did it. This was bred right. in you a long time ago. And you need to recognize that. Yeah. I mean, for her to have that level of bias, it's not surprising. Um, what I will say, and, and I, I again, you know, I thought that Christian Cooper handled this in so many ways just so well. Mm-hmm. If you're ever someone who's under this type of scrutiny or you're getting attacked in a way or threatened in a way that involves the police specifically and you can check me on this if i'm a black man or a black woman the way that he documented this was perfect like mm-hmm. literally i mean there's no and this is whether it's right or wrong this just comes across to me as a situation where he handled this really well because he fully protected himself and didn't let anything take away from him handling the situation the right way. Um, well, I talked last week about how much I appreciated the use of social media throughout this time because it exposed some of the biases that uh, you know police officers may have had or some of the negative aspects of the looters who are taking the attention away from the people who are actually there to protest for the right reasons in honor of George Floyd. But this is a perfect example of that. Like he knew what he was doing. He was not afraid to do it. She asked him to put put the phone away. And he says, no, you need to stop coming close to me. And Mm -hmm. he handled it literally to a T. There's no argument you can make against that, y'all. I mean, that's we're in the day and age where like you mess up on camera, that stuff follows you. And so while I don't believe that Amy Cooper's life is ruined, I think that that's a total exaggeration for what it is. Um, Did she lose her job? Yes. Um, you know, shout out to the company that felt the need to fire her. I forget the name off the top of my head, but 
um, you know, they straight up said too, like, we don't stand for this. We're not going to have someone representing our company doing these types of things. But to your point, I think that, you know, this level of bias, I think is, you know, it's just, it's ingrained, Briz. I mean, there's no question about it. And I think that it's something that is not discussed enough. Um, that's just my opinion. No, I think that you're completely right. And I think about a conversation that you and I had previous, uh, pre- sorry. Um, <laughs> I think about a conversation that you and I have had previously. Um, right. And this idea that like, people are like, oh, I'm not a racist, but are you anti-racist? Because being anti-racist means that you need to begin to look at those implicit biases that every single one of us has. Like, if you cannot grow up in this country, you cannot ingest the media, you cannot be in our education system, you cannot be in this country and not in some way become affected by the images that you see, affected by the stereotypes that are built. And so, like, I think I got off track for a second, but to your point, like, this idea of implicit bias is something that people have to begin to genuinely talk about and be open about and recognize that it is there. I think the biggest issue when you think about Amy Cooper cases and stuff is she might've thought, I don't know her personally, I don't know what she had going on, but like she might've thought she was like a good woman and a woman who wouldn't like do this. And I'm not going to brutalize another person, but the minute, the minute that you could use your privilege to be in at some level of advantage or to make a situation benefit you more, you did it. And I think that people, until they are in those situations, sometimes the quote unquote good people, the people who think that they're doing all of the right things, but aren't quite anti-racist, aren't quite breaking down those systems. You can revert right back to that bias. If it's something that you are not paying any attention to. Um, that is the bottom line is you're going to revert back to it. Like yeah. if you don't check it, that is what you're going to revert back to. And I think that in her situation, that's exactly what happened. I think that your idea of weaponizing black people is really the reason that so many horrific instances have been documented really since the social media wave of this since 2012. Um, but that's all it is. I mean, you brought up Tamir Rice. You can talk about Trayvon Martin. You can talk about anyone. Um, that's always what it comes back to. And that bias has got to be addressed, not only in police departments, it's got to be addressed in workplaces. It's got to be addressed in schools. It's got to be addressed because real growth is not going to happen unless it is. Can you talk a little bit about, um, this idea of Karenism? I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like, I, I think here's my, here's my quick take on it. Like, I call one of my close friends and our friend group calls one of our close friends, Karen. And we did as a joke for a minute until it became something that was like very clear. Like, well, if someone's being called a Karen, it's like low key kind of calling them a racist. Um, Not low key. You got some racist. Right. right, right. (laughs) So hers was more. There's some privilege in there. There's some entitlement. Yeah. But hers was more about like, you know, it's, for those people that don't know, it's Emily Serino. She's one of my closest She's friends. Wonderful. She's wonderful. Bridesmaid at my wedding. She's, I mean, if you want to have great conversations um, about the topics we're talking about from uh, not only a place of privilege, but a really woke place of privilege, then you've got to talk to her because she's awesome and is such a great leader, not only at our school, but just in life. Um, but literally, it like kind of made me check a little bit in terms of like, you know, there's just so many things that are like coming out now about this. Um, you know, now there's social media accounts, there's, you know, Instagram accounts about being a Karen. Um, and they're like all documenting the instances of racism that have taken place. 
it's it's like it's something I really shouldn't laugh at, but it's like I want to hear your perspective on it. Um, my perspective on the Karens. Um, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think that Karens are just a product of like of white entitlement, and <laughs> like like they are a product of the system that they were born into. They're a product of the system that they have benefited from. I think that I think one of my favorite memes that I've seen recently it was like the stages of a Karen, and like the first stage is I'm gonna call the police on you, black person. I'm going to record it. Karen, I don't care. Then the police are called and the video gets out. I am not a racist. Straight back to the Amy Cooper idea. (laughs) Um, But I think about like when you think, one, I truly believe that everyone has a little Karen in them because you benefit from a system. So like you could use it if you wanted to. But I feel like when I think about Karens, I think about all the permanent patties. I think about like all of these People, I'm not just going to say women because there are men who fall into yeah, the yeah, same yeah. category that are doing the exact same thing that uh, I can't remember what his name was at this moment. But you think about that uh, black boy who was killed in his car for playing music too loud. His wife, like the white person, didn't like it. Like it, it has its ranges. But again, I think that it's born of this place of entitlement and it's born of this place of unchecked entitlement. It's born from this idea that like my my reality, my existence, what I like is what is right. And so if you come into that and begin to disturb that, I have the right and the privilege as a quote unquote Karen to stop you. And we live in a society where like that is that's so easy. Like white is white is right. Like you hear people speaking proper English, it's they're talking white. Like right. as long as you live in this system and no one ever checks that like baby girl, I don't care if you don't like that they're selling lemonade. They need to raise money for whatever they want to raise money for. Like you like it's 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 getting past the point or like it's white people getting to the point that they understand that just because it is not the way they do it or it is culturally not what they want in the moment doesn't mean that it is wrong but we live in a society that very much so says the opposite we should go one way we should assimilate into this particular thing and then you end up with karens who think that they can mandate that and enforce it yeah and it's also this level of like you just take things way too far like that's the biggest thing. Like the name comes from the dramatization of the incident, right? Where it's like you look at the the woman a couple years ago with the barbecue, and she's panicking and freaking out. Like that became a thing because when it wasn't what you wanted, when your privilege wasn't honored, when there was something that mm-hmm. made you a little bit pissed off or angry or made you a little bit uncomfortable, you automatically went into well, no, I can be in privilege mode and I can get what I want out of this situation. And that I think is ultimately what it is. But again, I think that you kind of touched on this earlier and I, I think that this is kind of a good segue to get into the next topic. Uh, this idea of checking your bias. I mean, all this stems from implicit bias that exists, right? We don't know Amy Cooper personally. I don't know her and I don't pretend to know her. I don't know the woman from the barbecue. I don't know any of the police officers who murdered uh, black men and women. Um, You know, I don't know any of those people, but to sit here and say that they didn't have any implicit bias that was guiding their interactions, whether it was consciously or subconsciously or guiding their actions rather consciously or subconsciously. I mean, that's incorrect. Like bias stems from 400 years of what the system has been. Um, you know, now in modern terms, it's coming up in media or it's coming up in music or it's coming up in any number of ways. But I think that it's important for people to understand that, like, if you're white and you're privileged, you do have this, like, it's a thing that exists. 
And I think that that's an important thing for people to understand. Yeah. And I think to your point, I don't even think it's just white and you have like some explicit level of privilege, but just your whiteness is privilege. And I think about when you think about like nothing about our implicit bias or nothing about the stereotypes or prejudice that we have against any group in this country is a mistake. Like this was not something that was just magically, oh, we make people think this or like black people have acted this way. And so we make people think this, but like when you think like historical back to people, back to things like the Sambo character, you think about Uncle Tom's or you think about um, you think about post-Civil War and the first images of blackness where this was this idea of the aggressive black or these things like these things are new. They're not but, but they're not new, but they also they were also like in more modern times, we found ways to be more covert with what we're doing. We're not going to sit here and put out an image of the song. We're not going to do that in a class, but we are going to continue to cast black people in certain roles. We are going to continue to shine certain lights. And so we continue to like, when you have that history of all of those things, and then we're just adding these like little tiny pieces along the way from right. childhood, from the books we read, from all of these type of things as kids, like, it is impossible, like I said earlier, it is impossible to be in this country. It is impossible to be a person who has consumed this culture and not have bias. And I think I think to your point, it's recognizing it's there. I think there are too many people who get stuck in this mindset of like, well, I'm doing the right things or I'm trying to help or like, I don't see like... I, Personally, I hate when people say, I don't see color because, girl, I know you see this. Like, right. I, it's, it's not. It's there. Right. Um, but I think that it, it can become very easy um, to be like, oh, I'm not a racist. This doesn't apply to me. And I think that I think that, that is, I would much rather have a KKK member in my face because I know what you think. I know how you feel. Mm-hmm. But it is the people, the moderate people who are like, well, I'm not a racist, but don't do anything to look at who what their, their internal biases, don't do anything to think about the stereotypes or the prejudice that they have embedded somewhere in, in them, the Amy Coopers of the world. That's where our problem truly begins to develop and it begins to persist because you're just passing down that mindset because you're not acknowledging that it's there and not pushing yourself to to change it or to grow. And where this often shows up, just so our listeners understand, is in microaggressions, right? Like what you just said is an example of a microaggression, um, which is, oh, I don't see color. Well, then you're not seeing someone who is black or who is any any other race. Like, I mean, that is a a significant part of their identity. Um, And that's great. But you saying that takes that away from them. And that's what makes it a microaggression. Now, I think that it's important for people to understand that I just read this today. And I think that it's really interesting that micro in the sense of that word microaggression does not mean small. It means between people. So between you and I, there may be a microaggression. And just so people are understanding like what we're talking about, if I were to say to Bria, Oh, you, you're so articulate. You speak so well. Mm-hmm. What I'm essentially saying is, oh, you subscribe to the white way to speak, which therefore, from my bias, is the right way. That's yeah. a microaggression. It also comes across as that shocking. That like, right. oh my God, right. this exactly. black girl can speak like that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that also, you know, makes it even more, you know, oppressive and even more, you know, troublesome. But what people have to understand is you have to be able to check those 
And you have to be able to learn from those instances. So I'm going to be vulnerable for a minute because I think this is a good time to bring this up. But I was on a program a while ago. And again, I want to preface this by saying like, I am someone, if you know me, who is like, you know, I'm not going to pride myself on ever being a white savior ever because I never think that I'll know enough to ever be that person, nor do I think any white person will be able to be that person. Um, I think collectively as a community of people with privilege, it's our responsibility to speak out against injustices and be anti-racist so that we can support the black community so that equity can exist in our country. And what I think the biggest danger is regarding bias and regarding microaggressions is people who deny it. And you brought that up with Amy Cooper, where it's, you know, well, I teach black children, therefore I'm not racist. Wrong. I have black friends. I have Mm. black friends. Like these things do not mean that you do not have bias and do not have racist tendencies. And so I mentioned last episode that I went through, you know, it took me a while to kind of understand my bias. Um, And really it got to a point where I went to this program called the Rural School Leadership Academy, and it's a Teach for America program. You know, I haven't really talked to anyone from that program in a minute, but in the moment, I really didn't think that that program was doing a ton for me. But now knowing what I know specifically about how to support the African-American community and how to be an ally. Uh, I just learned so much that I, I, I don't think I was even ready for it. And that was, I think that was in my mid twenties, but there was one moment that really pushed me to the mm-hmm. point of understanding how real bias was. And for me, this was the moment that I started to make real change in terms of my journey as being a white ally and being an advocate for the black community. So, we were in Idaho, so we get to go to all these rural places. We went to New Mexico, we went to Idaho, and then we went to North Carolina and rural North Carolina, which was great because then I didn't have to travel a million hours by plane. Um, but essentially, we're in this deep conversation, and there's another man there, a Hispanic man named Pedro, who was in the program. I haven't talked to Pedro really in a long time. But he was really killing it in this conversation and was enlightening me a lot. I felt very empowered listening to him and very, you know, enlightened and just felt a lot better, period, about Mm -hmm. conversations about race. And so I raised my hand to shout him out. And I say, I start my sentence by saying, man, you know, I just really want to shout out uh, Pablo because he has just been (laughs) killing it. And everyone like freezes. And someone whispers in my ear, you mean Pedro? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this was the moment. This is where like you this is where you know it's real. Like this is like the moment that I'll, I'll literally never forget this as long as I live because it was such a powerful moment in my life. I qualified that comment by calling him the wrong name, by saying, which was a true comment, but still saying, oh, well, I had a close friend named Pablo when I was in high school. And literally you could hear a pin drop. I mean, you're talking about a organization and a a gathering of people that's super diverse 
um, many different backgrounds, ethnicities, black, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, white, all together. And mm -hmm. this white dude with privilege just calls a Hispanic man by the wrong name, but another Hispanic male name that sounds alike. And literally some people would say, oh, well, you know, in that moment, you just, you, you barely mixed it up. It's like you, you called him by the wrong mm -hmm. name. And it's like, no, the problem is that I didn't value his identity enough to prioritize getting it right. Mm -hmm. And that was my bias creeping in. And mm -hmm. to qualify it with an idiotic comment about a friend that I have who is still a close friend and is a great friend who lives down in Miami. Lizzy, you're my boy. I, I messed up on this one, but you're still my boy. <laughs> um, but it was one of those moments that, honest, honest to God, Bria, I was sick to my stomach. Like, I didn't speak. I didn't raise my hand the rest of the day, the rest of the evening. When everyone else went back to the place that we were staying, I stayed in this, like, conference area where we were meeting. And I just did work till like two in the morning. I didn't want to walk back with anyone. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Didn't want to have anything. I was so disheartened by the mistake that I had made. Went back real late. Everyone was asleep. Went to bed. Woke up earlier than everyone because I didn't want to interact with anyone. I didn't want to deal with the awkwardness of that. We get back to the conference room. I'm eating breakfast. And one of my friends, Matt Dempsey, he's a principal in Nashville, comes and sits down next to me. And we're chatting like pretty ordinary. I'm thinking like, all right, cool. Like maybe mm -hmm. no one remembered. Like what a stupid thing. Like maybe no one remembered. Like it was like this, this situation that was somehow going to like gloss over. Mm -hmm. and, well, that's right, exactly. And then I, I brought it up to him casually to see what he would say. Like, yeah, like that comment I made, like, yeah, like, you know, something stupid and sly and I was trying to get past it. And he just said, yeah, look, like it was really awkward. Um, and he was just 100% direct with, direct with me. And he said, like, look, that in that moment, like, you really realize that, like, you've got implicit bias and you have racist tendencies. And that doesn't make you a bad person. And I think that was kind of the moment where he was like, you have to learn from this so that you understand the microaggressions that are taking place and the things that you're constantly mm -hmm. not a big deal are a really big deal. So I don't know if Pedro will ever listen to this ever. I don't know that I haven't talked to Pedro, but listen, dude, like, I think you're an amazing person. You had great takes throughout the course of that program. You've always been outspoken for the Hispanic community. And I wanted to shout you out for that here in case you ever do listen so that you can hear this apology in that way. But the reason I go on this long tangent is if to say is not just to say like, oh, well, I can be vulnerable. It's to say that you need to experience a little of that, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. so in terms of like what to do next, which I think is a great final topic for us to discuss. My opinion is, look, if you're in a stage in this where you're just a listener, that's cool. If you're in a stage where you feel it's comfortable for you to post on social media and be outspoken about that, that's cool. If you're in a stage where you feel comfortable being going to a protest, that's all cool. None of those things make you anti-racist. Mm -hmm. None of them. Mm -hmm. You you have to understand that the real battle doesn't start with you having a situation where you're supportive. It starts where you screw up and are able to screw up and learn from that. 
Because the second that you realize, hey, this bias exists, that's when real growth can take place. And that's something that I'm really interested to see. And we'll get into that in a minute as well. But what are you thinking about that? No, I, I actually really love the comment um, that you were just making at the end is like, that's the place where you grow, because I think it can be it can be really easy to be like, oh, I made this comment and they felt some type of way about it. But like they're being sensitive or like this is on the other person. And I think that there's so much responsibility that we have to begin to take. And I think that's the hard part. I think it's really hard um, as a person who in the last season of my life has tried to be really reflective. It is really hard to look at the mirror and see not just like we're, we're really good at picking out like the physical flaws and these types of things that we see in ourselves. It is really hard to look at who you are as a person and know that there are whether you want them to be or not. There are some fundamental issues within yourself that you need to begin to fix. It can be really easy to put the responsibility of how someone else feels or the impact that you have um, mm. on someone else. But in situations like this, like when we're talking about racial justice, we're talking about equity, we're talking about education, like we're talking about all of these things, like people have to begin to look in the mirror for what they need to fix. They have to, if someone doesn't like that you said that, you need to start to figure out what was wrong with that. Yeah. You need to begin to do the, these things, take these steps, do this kind of work. Um, or again, like like I've said time and time again, and it's nothing changes, but we have to acknowledge it's really easy to put that responsibility somewhere. It makes our lives. And uh, I think you and I talked about this yesterday, this idea of like, and I think I said out on the last podcast, like, why would people move outside of their privilege? Like, it's a com that's a comfortable place to be in yep. the place where you yep. are the epitome. You are the superior. You are that. But like, mm -hmm. we also can't be people who say you can't be a person who goes to a march who also doesn't acknowledge it. Like somewhere in you, you need to address a piece that probably is off because yep. it's going to show up somewhere later. Yeah. And I think that like your point there to me was really the biggest in that it's like, what I am most nervous about within this, and you already see it in the news, like I keep saying this idea of like keep that same energy. And that's why like you knowing where mm -hmm. you're at is really important. And notice mm -hmm. I didn't say you listening was bad. I didn't say you posting anything was bad. I didn't say you going to a protest was bad because all of those things are steps in the right direction. Mm -hmm. What I am saying is you cannot be your most complete self as an advocate without fully addressing the bias that exists within you. Mm -hmm. And I think that to your point, what makes me so nervous about just to be honest, and the national movement that's existing right now for the first time since I've been alive, I've never seen anything like this mm -hmm. in terms of how national it is. But I said this last week, what's your energy going to be in two weeks? And you already see it a little bit. You mm -hmm. already see this idea of privilege seeping in and people saying like, oh, it's it's so hard to talk to my my friends about that, 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 uh. Well, that's your job as an ally. Like you've got to check your bias and it's your job to check them. Like things are not going to improve if you don't do that. But then in addition to that, like people got to understand like this really does come back to people with privilege, white people speaking out against this and checking this. Mm -hmm. Because I told everyone last week, news cycles are going to change. What's the main news cycle this week? Well, it sure as heck isn't about George Floyd. It's partially George Floyd. It's partially about race. There are certain instances, whether it's NASCAR, Drew Brees, any of these things coming up that keep it in the, in the conversation. But let's not act like we haven't pivoted as a country back to talks about COVID. Mm -hmm. Like, Let's just keep it real. Like, 
this type of stuff has to continue to live. It has to continue to be a process. And the more comfortable people are at making that the process, the better off that we're going to be. Yeah, definitely agree with 100% of what you said, especially this idea of, I saw a post today and it said, um, y'all just reminder, like Black Lives Matter Spirit Week was not last week. Like y'all got to keep going. You got to keep moving. You got to. Um, and I think that's the I think that's the thing that people also have to recognize. It's one of the reasons I am very much pro and have participated in protests. Um, it's like protests need to last. Like the protests, the boycotts, all those things yes. were were. There were some that were a year long. There were some that were six months long. Like people have to keep moving. But I think to the point that you made, like white people have to be able to sit in that discomfort for longer than I think that they've had to do in a really long time yeah. and like truly begin to face these things. And of course, like exactly what you're saying with our media cycle, we're going to begin to pivot away. They're not going to keep it on here. And a white person could truly choose to be comfortable and not flip to the channel that's playing that. They can flip to something else or their friends are beginning to post other types of things on social media. And so when do you, when do you stop and say enough is enough? And like, I have to, like, I have to figure out what, where my part in is to stop this. And exactly to what you said before, like that first place is being able to look at yourself in the mirror and recognize that like, right. I need to figure out where my flaws in this life first so that I am able to better serve the community I want to serve. I am better right. to be, I'm able to be a better ad, advocate, ally, all of these things. But it truly starts with being uncomfortable with who you are and what parts of you need to grow. And I think you, you said, you said this in a lot of like sports analogies to me um, as you've like helped me over these last few years in my career is just like, you're not going to grow if you're comfortable. And so we got to stop wanting to be so comfortable and um, cause you ain't gonna grow up. You gotta grow up at some point. Yeah. I mean that the, it all comes back to, and this is where I'm going to, I'm going to commit to really challenging people going forward, specifically white friends of mine and the white community is like, Listen, like this, you can live in privilege and nothing is going to change. Your outcomes won't change. The job opportunities for you won't change. Like nothing will change. Like, but it is going to come back to your voice in those moments. That's going to be really, really important. I think this is a good place for us to finish out with the word of the week, Briz. Um, I would love for you to finish off. Um, and so I'm going to start if that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, just to clarify, my, this is feedback I got from my mother. So yes, one of the 84 listeners we have as of right now was Ann Marshall, my mom. So love you, mom. And thank you for this. <laughs> she told me that I did not pick a word specific and singular in the first episode. But my point to her is that word of the week is more of a play on words, meaning that it's like the word, like what I'm saying is the word, not just one singular word. And Bria made me look bad because she picked a word. So I looked like an idiot. But <laughs> My bad. We'll, that's, we'll keep going. But I'm not picking a singular word, Mom. So you gave other great points. But I, I got to disagree with you on that. He has my support, Mom. <laughs> there you go. Um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to, to touch on with my word of the week. The first one is I've seen some really powerful stuff on Instagram. Um, I want to shout out first and foremost, Miss um, Kimberly Jones. I don't know if you saw her monologue, Bria, um, yes, just yes, immediately yes, yes, following yes. the the riots was super passionate and came out and spoke, you know, against all the people who are overplaying the idea of looting um, and rioting versus the, the power of what they were actually doing. 
Um, essentially, she just drops knowledge bombs like crazy and goes into a history lesson about Black Wall Street, um, how when Black people were starting to do well, that was burned to the ground. And pretty much any time that they start to take a step, there's an enormous setback that is, mm-hmm. to be candid, systematic from people in privilege and people in power. And the biggest thing that I wanted to say to her was, look, like, keep doing you. Like, that. Co- those comments were so powerful. Um, you know, even as a person of privilege and a white man, you know, I, I just wanted to say thank you to her because her ability to come out and speak so candidly and passionately about it, you know, forget what people say, like, do you, you said something that was important and was accurate. And if people don't like it, they don't like it because it's making them uncomfortable. And the bottom line is you did that. And I really, I love and respect that so much. And, and I appreciate you, Miss Jones, for doing that. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, and this really goes to anyone who's really been following along with the ideas of privilege and bias that we've been talking about throughout the course of the episode is one of the most powerful things that I see or that I've seen on social media is the journey towards being an anti-racist or towards being an ally, uh, a white ally for the black community. And right now, guys, I'll be honest, we're on that flat road. We haven't even begun the hard part yet. And so for those of you that understand what was cool about this meme is that there's a white person at the flat part who's actually who's looking up at the black person who's on a hill, which is like where the conversation starts is the hill, I think is something like that. And the white person's calling up to them and saying like, do we really have to do all that or something like that? And the black person's like, yeah, that's what it takes. Um, just know that guys, like at minimum, if you're looking for anyone who's willing to struggle through it with you, I'm willing to do that. I told you from the beginning, I'm not perfect at this. I'll never claim to be perfect at this. But I love having these conversations because I love improving not only myself, but I, I love the idea of being a good model for my son, who will be a white man mm-hmm. in the United States. He will have privilege and he needs to be able to understand how to be an ally and how to use his privilege to his advantage and not abuse his privilege like so many white people have done um, negatively towards people of color. And so I think that for those of you that are kind of not sure of where you stand, that's okay. Just understand if you really want to take the step and be the person who's making a difference, you've got to get uncomfortable. You've got to have the moment like I did with Pedro. Sometimes that's what it takes. Right. You will say this to, you know, students all the time. You're not going to become a better reader unless you read. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not going to become a better basketball player unless you play. You're not going to become a better teacher unless you teach and you get those reps. You're not going to be better at being a white ally unless you have conversations about race and are willing to make mistakes. That doesn't mean like over the top mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> because that's Don't a Amy type, Cooper. Right. That's a different type mm-hmm. of oppressive danger <laughs> that would need to be addressed more directly. But what I'm saying is that you got to be willing to have those conversations. You know, I was in a conversation earlier today with Emily Serino, and she models this so well because she's coming legitimately from a place where she wants to be the best educator she can mm-hmm. for black children, black and brown children. And It was a learning moment, and that's what it's all about. Eventually, and what you can imagine is the next conversation she's going to have, she's going to be a bit more woke. She's going to be able to talk 
a bit more and she's going to have that confidence like, yeah, I'm here for y'all and I know I'm here for y'all. And the people who see her do that are also going to think that. But that's what it takes. Get uncomfortable, do this stuff so that you can be an ally for the black community. Cool. Uh, I love that. I love this idea of discomfort. It's great. Um, I think to piggyback on what, off of what you said, my word of the week isn't actually going to be one word this week. <laughs> uh, but my word um, of the week is uh, keep going. Um, and it's funny because I was actually um, going to um, reference Emily as well. Um, we had a really cool moment earlier today. Um, and for those of you, which would be most of you who don't know, Emily has coached me in teaching for the last two years. Um, and between her and Janet Jolly, who was another phenomenal educator, um, literally two women I aspire to be like, who are white women who work in a lower income school for um, predominantly African-American and Latino students. Right. Um, but I thought that with this idea of you got to keep going, we see that like people's attention is shifting right now and they're looking at other things and race not might not be on the top of their mind. And we just had such an amazing conversation where like she truly pushed back to some of the things I said and she truly like asked questions, but I could see in her this fire that I've really, like I want to see in so many white allies or so many people who say this cause means something to them. As you could tell that like in that moment, you were part of that conversation, George, in that moment, this conversation was was not done for Emily. This was not her final spot. This was not, oh, okay, she said what she said. I'm going to thumbs it up and move on with my life. Like she truly asked questions and she talks about the tensions that she felt with things that were said. And I just thought that that was so like that mindset is so imperative. Like I'm going to be uncomfortable. I might not agree a hundred percent, but I'm going to learn where, like where I fit and how I begin to take on these anti-racist tendencies, how I begin to do this. And so when you think about the world is going to try not to shine, you know, our media is not going to try to shine this bright light on these situations um, anymore. They want, you know, the rioting and things to die down. That's how you make people uncomfortable. You make people uncomfortable by like, you can turn off the news, but you can't go to Target this week, baby. That makes you uncomfortable. Um, I think that when you think about this, like we have to keep pushing. You have to know that the work is going to get harder and harder. It might not get, it might not be any easier. It might not, you might not see the light at the end of the tunnel, but like, especially for you, you know, I don't have kids. I have fur babies. Um, but when I think about like, the comment that one of my students made to me last week about like her worrying for her kids is we have to begin to look past ourselves and like you're continuing to go because my students don't deserve to feel like they're going to they need to teach their children that they have not conceived yet to fear the police and so you have to keep going for these things and so my thing to remember right now is with the world maybe beginning to shift views or putting other things on the main reel uh for the news week like we have to keep going or I guarantee you in six months, we're going to be back here in a year. We're going to be back here in two years. We're going to be in this place and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And we got to begin to figure out how we keep pushing past that to your point, pushing past that discomfort um, and being, being okay, being comfortable in our discomfort to begin to really dismantle this system. But we can't stop now. There's so much momentum right now. We got to keep pushing. Right. Absolutely. I love that. I really love that idea of keep going. I think that's a great way to go into the weekend and to go into next week. Um, we're about to close out, guys. Uh, for all of for those of you that have been listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, you know, all the listening that you're doing, we're hoping that it's making a difference or it's challenging mindsets and pushing you in the right direction towards being the best person that you can be. Um, next week, 
I'm excited. We've already we we normally don't plan these out too too long in advance, but we had to get a little something. I'm not going to give it away, but we're really excited okay. about it too. Um, Briz, you want to take us out today with the slogan, and then we'll rock and roll. I sure will. Um, so as always, guys. First of all, I appreciate you guys for listening. Um, we hope to see you next week. Um, but as always, we love you. We appreciate you, and we see you. And we out. See y'all. Oh, sweet baby Jesus, we made it in the